welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Curious listeners, I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. Today, I have a very exciting announcement. This is our premiere episode in which I will interview someone, and today you are going to learn about Stephanie R. Sorensen, the author of a new novel, Toru, Wayfarer Returns. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Laurel. It's great to be with you here today. I'm so glad that you made time to join us today. Could you tell me, what is Toru? What, what's a Toru? <laughs> toru means wayfarer in Japanese. So Toru, toru returns. Toru is a wayfarer. He is a Japanese, um, he was shipwrecked, taken to America in 1850, learned all about American technology, and he came home to save his country. So it's kind of a steampunk alternate history adventure story. That sounds wonderful. Wow. So you're an author, and I'm assuming that you're going to be writing more books in the future. Tell me, can you describe for me your first earliest memory that you had with books? The earliest memory is my books being taken away from me because I was reading them with a flashlight under the covers at night and being placed outside in my snow gear with parka and boots and everything and told to enjoy myself playing. And I was like, no, please let me inside. (laughs) The books are inside. Oh, my. So your punishment was taking your books away. Yes. Oh, that's horrible. It really was. Especially for someone who likes to read. Someone someone mentioned a story about a beach with you. Oh, what, yeah. T- can you tell me tell me about that? <laughs> well, I really do love being inside reading. Um, <laughs> and so when I was small, probably four or five years old, we had a little second home, a little tiny cottage in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. And we would go down the whole family and my brothers and sisters would run and skip and play in the sand and the waves and run back and forth and have a wonderful time. I would sit underneath the umbrella, wrapped in a towel with a big hat on, a towel over my feet, and scowl at the ocean on my little chair. No. Yes. (laughs) Say it ain't so. Unfortunately, it is true. It is so, huh? My memories of the beach include, oh, sand in my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yes, well, there's sand everywhere at a beach. That's what's so awful about a beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you weren't out jumping in the waves with I the mean, I'm kids. sure there were jumping moments, and I do remember making some sand castles that I worked on quite hard. And We made a car, and we would you know, sit in the sand car and a so sand forth. sand car. Yeah, but if, most of the time it was I would really rather be back at home reading somewhere where I didn't have sand everywhere. Under your blankets, yeah, in <laughs> secrecy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so books, books are your love. When you wrote your book, Toru Wayfarer Returns, I'm sure you had to create some characters. What do you think is an important element in a character in a story? 
Okay. My ability to think about that exceeds my ability to deliver it. You know, I'm still learning how to do what I want to be able to do. So I'll tell you what I aspire to. Okay. In the books that I truly love, and I might choke up if I go through examples, uh, there's a moment of character transformation. There's a moment when the character is in trouble, something awful is happening, they're trying to do something, they're failing, and it's their own damn fault. You know, even though the monsters caused the problem, it's their fault that they're in this moment and they have to change something about them in order to fix it and make the world better. So that moment of staring in the mirror and accepting what needs to change, and I'm going to choke up vowing to do it. Um, There's a, I think it won the Pulitzer Prize for World Literature. There's a book written probably 30 years ago called Kristen Lovren's Daughter that I read as a child and reread last year. And it just tore me to shreds because she's this wonderful, hardworking, strong, smart, beautiful woman who manages to marry the man she wants and not the one her father arranged for us. And he turns out to be a rotter and her life is just difficult. It's the story of her life. And she's kind of a brat. Okay. And, and she's kind of an ungrateful brat for a very long time, ungrateful to her her father, her husband, the man she spurned who becomes her best friend and saves her and her husband multiple times. Ah. And there's finally a moment when uh, that spurned fiancé is dying. Mm-hmm. And she finally faces what a brat she's been. Oh, my. <laughs> and, and it... It turns her inside out, and she walks away from that moment a new and redeemed person. Okay. So I I aspire to achieve that in my writing. I I, I didn't in Toru. I'm just going to let you know. It's more of an adventure story. <laughs> He's the you know good out of the box hero, and you know he gets threatened a little bit, but he his his most transformational moment is when he quits feeling like an alien, a wayfarer. And realizes he's home and he has a mission. So I choke up. So you do. So so there is a transformation in that character. But it's it's small. It's a little spoon, a teaspoonful of transformation. <laughs> Whereas a Kristen Lovren's daughter, that author's uh, Sigrid, Un, Un, oh, I'm spacing the name, but um, anyway, a wonderful book. She was able to just rip your heart out. Okay, and so well, that I'm going to include a link to that book. Okay. In my show notes, so we'll, it's we'll, old. It's old fashioned. We'll, it's we'll out of that, style. We'll but get it's that wonderful. later. But <laughs> someone might be interested in having their hearts ripped out from them. Who knows? But <laughs> the, the idea of character redemption, I think, is huge. And anytime we talk about characters being transformed, characters growing, the 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 arc of the character is all very important in in writing a good story and and enjoying a story that you're reading. Hmm. As a, as a storyteller, and I've always been a storyteller, can you remember a story that you maybe once told, an early memory of a story, story you once shared with an audience? I, it's funny. I know we're talking about written literature, yes. yeah, but I'm not going to answer the question about written literature because okay. when you asked the question, the first thing that jumped into my head was uh, being about eight or nine years old. I was raised Mormon, Sorensen, very Mormon name. And uh, there was this custom within the church of giving two and a half minute talks. 
So all the children would give these two and a half minute talks. How old were the children? Um, you could be anywhere from seven or eight on up to 18 or so. Oh, okay. okay. So and, and adults young. would do them too, but it was, it was a big thing to give your first two and a half minute talk Okay, because there was an audience of like 300 people and I Whoa, gave a talk. That's a huge audience. Yes. Yes. For a child. <laughs> For a child. And my mother was an elementary school teacher and she worked very hard with me. We told the story of the Mormon migration out of Nauvoo when the Mormons were driven out and had to go west. And we had, um, she had made a big, beautiful map of Nauvoo and she had made a map. And I, I got, she trained me for, for quite, I think it was probably two weeks of practicing and training. I had a pointer stick that was almost <laughs> as tall as I was. And I had my big map and I showed, and these, and we got to understand, I'm talking to Mormon adults. This was the big everybody meeting. So they know this story pretty well. Oh, right, <laughs> right. But, but I've never got, heard it from a seven-year-old? They never, I think I was eight, eight, okay. or, eight or nine. But I got up there with my little pointer stick and I told sort of a foundational story of my people. And so I've been kind of obsessed with migrations ever since. So. Hmm, migrations. Okay. That's the first story I remember telling a large group. Were you horrified? Do you remember how you felt when you stood in front of 300 adults? I think my only goal was not to disappoint mother. <laughs> I wasn't even afraid of the other people. I, I don't have a bad memory of it, so okay. it must have gone okay. Okay. <laughs> I I just remember the preparation as much as anything. I wonder what your mother will remember or would remember about that story right I now. I may ask her. I think you should. <laughs> so as an author... Authors have many challenges, I know, but is there a particular challenge that you deal with routinely in your writing? Time management. I'm busy. I have a day job. I have a nonprofit job. I have friends. I have a husband. They all need love and attention. And mm -hmm. so fighting to keep some sacred time for writing. I think the Toru got finished um, because of a dear friend who locked me into her living room during NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo. And for those of you who might not know what NaNoWriMo is, National Novel Writing Month, every month of November, every year, it's a personal challenge for you to write 50,000 words in a novel. And I understand that many people use that as a way to launch their first novel, second novels, third novels. Uh, it's a, a time crunch. But it's it was a wonderful experience because it gave me a quiet, focused appointment every single day to do my writing. And I think that's the only way I'm ever going to get major writing done. And so I spent another year after that editing, but it was that big push that helped. Okay. So we've been talking about characters and characters in literature and I think you already answered the one, uh, a character that stands out clearly in your mind. Um, any others come to mind? Uh, maybe the one that I'm working on now. <laughs> I'm okay. creating a character. Um, I, I t because I write historically based fiction, I first go to the history books and I look for inspiration there. And I stumbled across the, the most amazing thing, these priestesses, uh, sort of self-invented priestesses uh, in Japan, of all places, who had sort of a peasant version of Buddhism mm -hmm. that had to do with what we would today call social justice, but quit being mean to the peasants <laughs> was, <laughs> was kind of their message. Buddha would not want us to be this mean to the peasants. And I, I found eight or nine biographies of these women, and they were women. 
in okay. a very patriarchal society. And so they were wonderful rebels standing up against their societal norms, against the religious and against everything. And so I'm creating a character and she's actually the villain of my story. But I believe that your villain should be a hero in their own mind. So I'm creating this woman who's a, maybe a little delusional, maybe maybe a little demented. You're not quite sure, but the gods speak to her. And she tells the other peasants how to make their lives better, and they follow her. And they create this huge movement. And then my heroes have to battle with her or join with her, and it's, it goes from there. But she's this really intriguing character for me of someone who's so idealistic and passionate and, and impassioned and focused on their mission, but might be a little crazy and might be a little evil. And where is that line, and, and how do you draw that character? So villains have some kind of backstory right and some kind of reason for their villainy yeah well she was in a society that treated people like her very badly mm -hmm. and she stood up and said no this shall stop and so i see that as heroic so my villain is actually heroic a villain hero i was going to ask you what type of character you're itching to develop and, and I would, think it's her I, I, I would say that that's <laughs> it, her the heroes you know my, my heroes are all kind of they're good and they're rushing around being heroic but a good villain I mean think of think of your favorite movies in Batman we really remember the Joker Right. You know, you, the, the Batman, you know, he stands there without even twitching a muscle on his jaw to show us that he's experiencing great emotion. But, you know, the villains out there are all crazy. Um, and I think the great actors like to play villains. And so I think writing a novel where the villain is a hero in their own story, even if he must be defeated by the forces that mm -hmm. I'm encouraging the reader to side with, mm -hmm. I want that villain to be as interesting. And I think it's okay for a reader to feel moments of compassion for a, vil a villain. I'm going to choke up again. <laughs> <laughs> I think an author feels compassion for all their characters. Mm -hmm. It's a very ugh, this is a scary sentence to utter. It's a godlike position to look down on characters and Ooh, I like that. devise their fates and reach in to help them and let them suffer throw more rocks at them, you know. I've heard some controversy on some people saying that your characters don't speak to you, you speak for your characters. But have you ever found cases where you're writing and all of a sudden your characters are just going places you did not anticipate? I feel like if that's not happening, you're not there yet. I, I look for that moment. I mean, you set up ideas about characters, but when they really start to get real and have their own little conflicting things inside them, and you, you're trying to figure out, well, which one is going to win this time mm -hmm. due to your love? You know, which way are you going? And if you can make those characters interesting enough, they take on a life of their own. I mean, my, my side characters always take over because mm -hmm. I haven't overplanned and over-engineered them. Okay. And they're fun. They're rollicking. They get in there and they develop these personalities. My, in my first book, Jito is everybody's favorite character. He's the best friend of the hero. Right. And he, he drinks, he jokes, he's, he's not he's wonderful. very Japanese. Yes, he's, he's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked him best, too. <laughs> hmm. Back to, uh, I love words, and my, my last episode was about words and misreading signs and being quite embarrassed. And we know that language evolves. What's your opinion of 
the direction in which our language seems to be evolving now? It's a little bit like today's music. Explain. Uh, There used to be like a mainstream river of music. You know, we all went through jazz together. We Mm -hmm. all, I wasn't here, but our forebears (laughs) did, went through jazz together. And then they discovered blues and the... Big bands. Big bands. And then came Elvis Presley and then the Beatles. And then it started to fission out and, and split into a million different little tributaries. And, and, and our literature has split out in the same sort of way. There once was a canon that the classical things that you would read and the, the great novels that you would all read and everyone knew them. And there was this shared culture that we kind of knew. Now there are kids who go deep, deep, deep into graphic novels that have wonderful characters, wonderful story, history, all sorts of things, but they're in this different format. We have barely literate people <laughs> self-publishing, and you know that's a little frightening, but you know they're out there expressing themselves mm-hmm. and they're sharing their stories. Then you have you know the remaining high literature culture that's out there somewhere. I'm maybe less familiar with that. And then you have the rise of creative nonfiction, turning fiction into storytelling. And so I feel like we we have we've gotten past sort of the Jane Austen novel paradigm, and there are now a hundred different ways to share human expression. You know, whether it's tweets, there are people who are tweet storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the flash fiction, the mini fiction. Right. You know, the, all these different formats, and so. I'm old fashioned. When I paint, I paint in a realistic way and you can tell what I'm painting more or less. And I like that. And when I write, I'm kind of stuffy and a little stiff in my language because I love the 19th century novels. I love Mm -hmm. the classical canon. And I'm, but I'm, I'm trying to expose myself to the more modern things. And I'm also realizing that some of the things that we dismiss as genre, like science fiction and fantasy, which I deeply, deeply, deeply love, have evolved and matured enough as genres that they are very much becoming literature in the highest sense of the word literature, high literature. And so I'm starting to look for those science fiction and fantasy novels that I would call high literature. So I guess it's wonderful because there are so many different ways to express yourself and so many channels. Um, but I, there's, there's also a dumbing down at certain ends. But I think you can find what you're looking for and listening for. Okay. That kind of leads me into my question about indie published work. And you, <laughs> you touched on that by saying that there's so much out there and there's some, some out there that's barely literate. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on indie published books? A, a very strong one. Um, I, I hated the idea of self-publishing. When? When did you hate the idea? Before I (laughs) (laughs) self-published. And I, uh, and I, I, I knew that I had a weird quirky book that wasn't going to find an agent or a market for an unknown author. And so eventually I said, if you want this book, which you're quite proud of to be out in the world, you're going to have to self-publish it. So I did. And I made that as professional as I could. And I, I get very impatient with self-published authors who don't bother to do the basics, to edit, to, to get a nice cover, to just do the basics of making it look like a professional product. Mm-hmm. I come out of the business world and you don't send slop out into the world to share. You think people judge books by their covers? Oh, yes. 
They do. <laughs> they do. And you better make sure your cover reflects what's inside or you're in trouble with your reviewers. But Good I, point. Yeah. I love the idea that anyone can get their work out into the world. And not everyone needs to have a bestseller in the world, but a lot of people need to be able to share that special family memoir or a personal story that inspired their children or that they were inspired by. And so I love modern technology and the fact that we can self-publish. Right. I'm just fiercely dedicated to the idea that self-publishing doesn't have to mean bad. Right. And working through reviewing other self-published authors and trying to do my bit to push the standards push the up when they're, <laughs> when they're low. Okay. I like that. Do you have a writing routine? I know people have asked me before, and I'm I'm kind of a binge writer. Yeah. I, How about you? My nickname is Tsuyobi, which means high heat. High heat. Explain <laughs> in high in heat. Japanese, it just means, I'm just going to go, 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 go. I do better, of course, anyone does, without interruptions, and I have a life of interruptions. So carving out quiet time is hard, and it tends to be easier to get that in binges rather than in a daily way. Now I'm trying to restructure my life so I can have daily binges, mm -hmm. but um, that's the goal. That's the mission. Um, but do you set time limits for yourself? Do you do little writing prompts? I, do you okay, this this is sort of embarrassing, but there's this wonderful app called 5,000 Words Per Hour. 5,000 Words Per Hour, okay. And I love it because it has this little tiny thing where you can plug in the name of your, your book and then you it, you set timers for whatever length of time you want. And I'll usually do 15 minutes. And then boom, I just fall into a pit and I write and I write and I write. And then there's this little woohoo at the <sighs> end of your 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, wow, that went by in a moment. I got to do another one. So I write down my words done in that amount and boom. And I can, I can happily spend two or three hours in 15-minute spurts just driving through. I don't know why that app helps me, but it does. Huh. And I like seeing the words pile up because okay. you record them after each little session. Okay. I think I might need to look into that app. That sounds helpful with my binge writing. This practice. is just for first drafts. For editing for, okay. is far more painful. I don't even want to talk about editing. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody but, but ever you think does. It's, you think it's important, right? <laughs> editing is very important. You, Yeah. You write the book just to meet the book, and then you have to write the book by editing. And book. if you're really, 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 really smart, can you edit your own stuff? It's theoretically possible, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? You can always try. I mean, I did. I edited my first book, but I, I long for another editor like you would long for a nice warm bubble bath of someone else caring for you. I like that idea. And I, and I, I find with myself and... I think I can edit my own work, but you you will find that you fill in the blanks and you will miss an of or an if. You just won't see those things because you know what you've written. And Well, it's not even the typo level. You know your characters in your head and right. you may be missing that they're not on the page the way they are in your head. Good point. I've been told before that some of my scenes aren't as fleshed out as they should be because in my head, I know exactly what's happening. Right. And right. then a reader reads it and they said, wait, 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 this happened too fast. I need, I need more. That's why beta readers are so important. Beta readers they, are... they respond to what's on the page, not yes. what's in your head. Yeah. They're golden. If you are a beta reader out there, or if you ever want to be a beta reader, let me know, please, because you guys are, are worth your weight in gold. 
Uh, let's see, what else? We talked about writing routine. Do you have any advice for nascent writers? <laughs> People who want to be bestsellers, people who want to make lots of money with their books. If you're a true beginner, so you haven't completed a manuscript, even a very bad manuscript, if you haven't done that yet, anything I say is going to be a cliche, but I would say read, 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 read. Why? In, in Well, in the genre you want to work in, because then you understand what expectations, what reader expectations are for that genre. And you expose yourself to different styles and, you know, maybe an improvement on your own level of skills because you're a beginner. Mm -hmm. You don't know everything. It's good to see examples that are, that are good. Uh, you often hear the advice, write what you know. I think that's really stupid advice. Tell me, tell me why. I write what I'm interested in because if I write what I know, I'll be bored while I'm <laughs> writing it and my boredom will show through. Mm -hmm. If I write what I'm interested in, my curiosity and my love for whatever topic it is, that will shine through. Because you as the author, you're, you're shining through for good or for ill in mm -hmm. your books. And so mm -hmm. I write what I'm passionate about and what I'm interested in. And I don't know it when I start, you know, especially because I do historical fiction. It's research and you do heavy. A lot of you do a lot of research. I, I do a lot of research, mm -hmm. but I do it as I go. And I, I skip and go back and fill in so you don't have to do the research first. I kind of do it together with. But... I let my passion and my interest drive me through the story. And I think that comes through, if I can say that about my own work. Absolutely. What's next for Stephanie R. Sorensen? I'm very excited because I just got word today that I've been accepted to two different Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing programs. Wow. And so I have to figure out where I'm going and make those decisions, but I'm really excited. So you've already written a novel and you still feel a need to get an, M an MFA? Tell me yes. why. Amazon reviewers. Amazon <laughs> reviewers? <laughs> no, when you write a novel and you put it out in the world and people, one of my favorite reviews, he got my book, he understood it, he enjoyed it, he said many positive things and I felt understood, which as an author is a wonderful feeling mm -hmm. that a reader got you and got your work and what it meant to you and what it was. And he says, the writing is good, but not great, hence the four stars. Oh. And this, <laughs> this was a spear through my heart, a, a barrel of cold water over my head, and I was like, well... Yeah. So what's your point? And, and let me just say that a four-star <laughs> Amazon review is pretty darn good. Yeah, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm 4.3 overall. I mean, let, let the record show. Um, and there are lots of generous people handing out fives. But to have a judicious, thoughtful reader wish that my writing were just a little better. And I didn't even know how I could have made it better because I quit editing when I didn't know how to make it better that's when I discovered I need help. And so I want to go to school and have really wise advisors push me to make my writing better. Ooh, and your next book? I'm is... halfway through uh, Nomi, Rebel Rises, about the peasant uprisings in Japan. All right, so you have a tie with Japan. Yes. Tell yes. me why. I went there as an exchange student back in my teenage years okay. and spent a year there and went back and worked there after college. And I speak Japanese and just love the culture and and didn't want to be Japanese because there are some advantages to being an American woman. Uh, but 
really, really admired the culture and learned a lot about it. Wow. You have a lot more stories to share with our audience, I think, and we're going to have to have you back. I would love that. Stephanie R. Sorensen, author of Toru Wayfarer Returns. You can find her book on Amazon. Thank you so much for visiting with us today, and I hope you do come back. Thank you, Laurel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today with Stephanie R. Sorensen, author of Toru, Wayfarer Returns. You can find her book on Amazon.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. I'd love your comments and we'll be happy to respond. Find my show notes with links and photos on my website at LeadvilleLaurel.com and join me next time when I will share a most ridiculous story with you about a time I almost started an international incident. I was in the army at the time. So do come back and thank you again. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.